Hello and welcome to the Classic Gamers Guild podcast. Uh, we have a very special guest today, but before we get to that, I just want to apologize uh, for the fact that Paul will not be joining us today. That is actually entirely my fault. Paul has a very limited schedule around which we work to record these episodes, and this past week I used those days that we normally record to uh, go, go visit Toronto for a little while, and unfortunately, as it turns out, uh, we were not able to make up that time, and the, it was entirely my fault, it was entirely my decision, and the consequences were that Paul got cut out, so that was a total jerk move on my part. Uh, but in the meantime, we are joined by an esteemed guest. He is a writer, teacher, music journalist, lifelong gamer, and he runs the weekly beer club posts over at the Classic Gamers Guild Facebook group. Welcome to the show, Sean McCauley. <laughs> Hi. How's it going, Sean? Things are fabulous, man. Pleased to be here. Hope you're doing well. Thank you. It's great to have you on. So, I mean, you have a very interesting background. Uh, writer, teacher, music journalist, as you say, uh, which you actually, you know, in the conversations you have, you and I have had personally, you really uh, do have a very unique view in terms of uh, with video mm. games compared to books. So it'd be interesting to get your perspective. Um, I, I know you are a big fan of the Black Isle games in particular. I believe, um, oh, if yeah. I'm not if I'm not mistaken, your favorite game of all time was Planescape Torment. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, you know, until something better comes along, and that that's kind of relatively recent, considering I've been gaming since since I was like six, maybe even earlier, since before mm-hmm. I can remember real well. And Planescape, I played for the first time. I think. I want to say like six years ago. So it's it's still real recent for me. And I'm mm-hmm. open-minded. Maybe something else will come along, but that's a hell of a game, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, six years ago, that's uh, that's actually pretty late into Planescape's life, isn't it? Like Planescape came oh, out yeah. the 90s, I believe. Yeah, I think late 90s. I think so. If I played it six years ago, it had been around for almost 20 years at that point. Yes, yeah, so that is really impressive to know that it aged that well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so Planescape, uh, this is actually one of the, uh, what do you call it, uh, glaring omissions. This mm. is a game that I've always had available for me to play, and I never actually got around to really sinking my teeth into it. I, I play a little bit. Uh, what I did play was great. I have nothing against it, but it was just, I got into it just at a time when I didn't really have the time to devote towards uh, games and it being RPGs, they're usually the ones that are the hardest to really complete under yeah. um, <laughs> just in the best of times, really. But especially when you have not that uh, much time to yeah. devote to them. Uh, so I guess take me through this as somebody who is kind of just never really gotten much further than a couple hours into the games. So in- first- into Torment specifically? Let, let, let's uh, yeah, let's uh, focus mainly on Torment. Okay, I don't, but I mean, I could for sure take up an hour and a half just talking about Torment, so don't let me. But um, uh, to- We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, you have a very, a, a very common relationship with Torment. It's pretty difficult to get into, even with the Enhanced Edition. The graphics are still kind of wonky. It's a bizarre 
it's a bizarre animation style. It's a bizarre uh, the, the characters are drawn strangely. It almost has like a claymation feel to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the real problem I think is that there's a pretty it, everything is pretty deep, pretty complex, highly textured, and it's easy to think that the entire game is going to be like the first area. And you don't even know that the first area is really just like a room in the first area. So if you manage to make it out of the the mausoleum, I think it's called, in the very beginning, which right. most people don't. Like I, I I bet like three out of four people who pick up Torment today don't make it out of the mausoleum. But if you do, it's easy to think that the rest of the game is going to be like that. And it's definitely, definitely not. You, you have to play like, if you're doing it without a walkthrough or something, I would suggest there's a solid... 40 50 hours maybe 60 hours before you get out of the city of sigil and that's like a sixth of the game maybe a sixth (laughs) and it really you don't get a feel for the story arc or anything you you don't even have a feel for the gameplay until you're outside of sigil in my opinion wow and that's like 40 hours in on a like an average uh non-walkthrough wow that that's like longer than i would spend on most games like entirely and it's a it's it's a uh it's a good example of the importance of writing in games, specifically like the written word. Like what role does it play? How does mm-hmm. it contribute to a game's greatness or how does it detract from it? And Torment, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it is kind of the best part of the game. It almost certainly is the best part of the game. But on the other hand, that's an entirely different kind of time that you're spending with your game. Maybe you don't want to read so much tonight. You just want to grab a, an Xbox controller and have some fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and of course, there's different levels of literacy per gamer, too. You, you know, doesn't make a person bad if they read a little bit more slowly than another. Some people like to take their time. On the whole, you're going to do less fighting than you are reading. I was talking with another gilder just this week, as a matter of fact, about how reading is interactive. Like how it there's a whole school of thought that people get doctorates in and do research on about interactive uh about reading as an interactive thing that you do mm-hmm. um so how would you explain that for the people who uh that's a whole thing the the way that it ended up getting nutshelled at the end was he asked me when i read shakespeare how the hell is shakespeare interacting with me he's a dude that's been dead for hundreds of years and what i told him was that you interact with your interpretation of Shakespeare. The words are not yours, and even your interpretation is not entirely yours because it comes from your past experiences with teachers, your your past experiences with Shakespeare, other Shakespeare plays, how good you are at the English language, specifically 17th century English. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in the end, a lot more about the story is going to depend on you than on the verbiage in the story itself that Shakespeare wrote. For instance, if you happen to be a Jewish reader and you read The Merchant of Venice, you're probably going to take a lot of note of the the racial overtones, the racist overtones of that story. That's if right. you happen to if you happen to be a white banker, then you're probably going to note all of the 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 pre-Marxist economical theory going on in there and these two people could describe the same play in entirely different ways and in that way it's exceptionally interactive right that's a very interesting way to look at that i never really thought of that before it's a whole thing people spend their whole careers talking about interact the interaction of reading yeah i mean like uh granted i I always knew that uh with any medium uh especially reading uh but pretty much with any medium from uh, movies to plays to music 
to basically anything. Everyone will have their own interpretations. That's why you have, um, you know, even just like song meanings, there's whole websites where people talk about what they think songs are about and lyrics, For sure. what lyrics mean and stuff like that. But um, when I say that, I never really thought of it like that. It was, uh, I never really thought of that as like a, as a form of interactivity with the piece, which is a really interesting way to look at it. So I've had this thing, uh, when you were asking what we should talk about, I thought, how how can we frame this like kind of too broad topic? And as I was thinking about it, I thought up this kind of a timeline and accidentally stumbled on something that I think may be true. And I, I'd like to ask your opinion on a couple things. But okay. uh, so this basic timeline I have I have in my head is that games start and PC games they're colossal cave, they're Zork, they are uh, Infocom, right? Because it's mm -hmm. easier to use text than there, than it is to do a GUI and graphic stuff, which wasn't done yet, right? Right. We can agree it starts there, right? Of course. Sure, of course. So uh, then the early graphic attempts start, and you end up with Wizardry, Temple of Apshai, uh, Bard's Tale, Ultima, Wasteland, right? Yeah, that's right. It's essentially like D&D &D on paper, and it's mostly text with like an illustration here or there. Then... Uh, later, you, you've got um, from Tipple of Apshai and Wasteland and Bard's Tale, you get the D&D Gold Box games, Pool Radiance, Dragonlance, e even the, the MMOs, uh, Neverwinter Nights was one of them. It's basically an online Gold Box game. Yes. And those games were definitely mainly text. Like you had a nice big fat picture and you could move, but there's not a lot of animation. I, I think that maybe there was like a, an illustration with like a fluttering wave or something from time to time. I really don't... Oh, yeah, and you, you had a small character animation if you threw a knife or something. It wasn't much. Mm -hmm. And they, they tended towards the text. This is like late 80s, early 90s, and through the 90s. But at that same time was when all the Sierra stuff was going on. So, like, they, they take the text, that the parser, and they put mostly animation on the screen, but they're still mostly dependent on text. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, and... Uh, I'm thinking of this as a big schism because from 1990 to the year 2000, you have the D&D Gold Box, Dragonlance uh, stuff going on, the, the text-heavy uh, role-playing games, and uh, that, that leads to Black Isle games, Fallout 1 and 2, Torment, Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, and later on the Obsidian story-driven games with voiceovers. Mm. But the other ones, the, the, the graphic-heavy ones that came from Sierra they all lead up into the animation and graphics and voiceover heavy stuff like Half-Life and the Bethesda stuff, Rockstar Games, World of Warcraft. That's and right. so there, there's this big schism in the 90s where like some games, they're like, yeah, we could do graphics, but this text thing is really working out. And a lot of those games are really, really popular. And then on the other hand, the Sierra games and the, the more graphic heavy stuff, it's a totally different branch. And now... Um, that there's the addition of optional lore content, and that's how they've kind of dealt with that problem. It is uh, the 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 uh, Bethesda games especially? They're like, well, we'll just put books everywhere, and <laughs> if you're interested in in reading, then you can pick one up and read it. But for the most part, none of it really determines any of the story going on. Mm -hmm. And I th right. I think that the addition of of lore has kind of put the fork in the meat there. It's like that's kind of done. I don't see it coming back into that gold box era or the Infocom. I don't see reading and writing, like literal literacy. I don't see that being a necessary component in gaming anytime soon. Oh, really? 
I don't. I mean, personally, mm-hmm. maybe it'll turn around. I don't need it to be that way, but it's it is too bad that there aren't more games like that for the people who enjoy reading being a component of the yeah. game. Well, I mean, there are that's where I think like the indies kind of go back to because they are a throwback. They go back towards um, a lot more of the point and click adventures, which were uh, which you know kind of hit that mid '90s Sierra uh, slash mm-hmm. Lucas Arts kind of where it was that. Uh, interactivity of the character on the screen, but also very text heavy with the uh, yep. with the dis- uh, the flavor text, the description, the dialogue. Uh, of course, yeah. There's a um, the there's a big difference when I when I look online for what's the best writing in games. Generally, you're gonna hear people talk about the storyline. Like even when they talk about torment, they're not talking about the style of writing, like the writer's style. They're right. talking about the storyline, the plot movements. They don't really talk about they they talk about uh screenplays really. Yeah. They talk about Portal, Dead Space, um uh Life is Strange. Like it's great writing, but it's a screenplay. It's not like paragraphs of prose, you know what I mean? Right. But but every now and then you do get something like um like like Sunless Sea. You ever play that one? Uh no, I didn't. I've I've heard the name, but I don't know much about it. It started from a web game and so it's kind of limited in so far as like um I don't know, it's 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 a basic game, but it's almost entirely English driven and the writing is phenomenal. Like the dude's one of the best stylists I've ever seen in a game by far. And, and uh that that's rare that you mm-hmm. see like stylistic writing in a game at all ever. But sometimes in the in the screenplay stuff, you do get it. Like Legacy of Kane, remember that? Yeah, yeah. Like it, when he was narrating stuff, Kane popped right out of the off the page. I'd like to say. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Which which is definitely um, one of the, you know, uh, like, like I say, if you if you focus on writing as prose, then there's really not going to be a lot of games, uh, especially in the modern era, that's really going to. Uh, go into that. So I think a lot of what people talk about when they talk about good writing is, like you said, like a screenplay, but, um, you know, there is definitely the skill of dialogue, which is something that even of a lot course. of movies and a lot of screenplays fail at is writing Absolutely. good dialogue. So, yeah, Absolutely. there is, uh, you know, the, the show don't tell the less is more, mm-hmm. you know, brevity. Uh, there's a lot of that, that comes out in a game like portal, especially where there's so much character, packed into each line yeah uh, where even things that you think are just kind of throwaway really do serve a lot of purpose um so yeah so there i think that's kind of you know there's that whole desire of games to kind of emulate movies which leads to games like metal gear solid where they're Mm -hmm. just like you know here's a I don't even know how long they go on anymore, like two hour cutscenes or something like that. Oh Lord. Where they, yeah. yeah. Where they try to just, you know, how can this game be more like a movie as opposed to, Hey, why don't we just try to be a game? But sometimes they do it so well that it's, it's really impressive. Like Witcher three, it's not my favorite game, but the, I mean, they had a cutscene for damn near every effing quest. Like every little side quest is like a two, three minute minimum cutaway. And, the writing is good. The voice actors don't sound bored magically. It's amazing. <laughs> the, the, the screenplay style of writing, yeah, the, you have to write good dialogue if you want to be uh, looked up to for it. And some games do it really well. Grim Fandango, for sure. The Legacy of Kane thing. And mm-hmm. sometimes uh, setting. Sometimes the setting and sometimes um, 
the, there are other kinds of writing where it's not necessary to the game, but you can't help but fall in. Like a Talos Principle. Talos Principle is insanely well written, and it's definitely not really a necessary part of the game. Or Soma. Soma is mm. very well written. So that um, so you were to go back a little bit to the you were talking about the interactivity of reading, yeah, and, uh, just interactivity, you know, uh, in an in interactive medium like gaming. So, um, do you find like let's say, uh, how these games used to by necessity have the dialogue box, and now they might or might not have the dialogue box, but they really try to go over towards the voice acting. Um, do you find do you have an or do you have an opinion on uh, the interactivity or the immersion or maybe some sort of a trade-off a give or take between having the having the text given to you versus having the voices uh, spoken for you it's for sure a, a personal decision and you know I, I don't at all think that my personal opinion is correct mm -hmm. but for sure I prefer to read it for myself a hundred percent of the time I mean if if for no other reason simply because if I'm playing uh, let me try this a different way. The If you are making a game for someone who can read well, you can pack an awful lot of information into a page, let, let alone a screen. You know what I mean? Right. I, and I can spend as much time or as little time reading it as I like, even if it is a necessary component to getting through the game and succeeding. I can read it all quickly or slowly. And uh, s going through something like Torment, sometimes, sometimes I can read what would take I don't know, 15 minutes, half an hour to narrate in just a few minutes, you know, because mm -hmm. I read. I think most people who are literate read much more quickly than they listen. I would have to agree with that just because I am actually a very slow reader. Like, that's why uh, I, I love the concept of reading. I just I'm not very good at it, or at least I'm not very quick at it. Um, which is why I don't really get enough time to uh, read as much as I would l really like to. But sure, um, even I find myself uh, beating the voice acting when it comes to video games. It's sort of like, you know, oh, yeah. they'll, they'll pop up the dialogue box um, and then you hear the voice narrating it. And before they're like halfway through the sentence, I'm clicking on to see what they say next. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, and, and I'm a slow reader and I'm still beating the the narration. Well, those dudes, they've, they've got a... a uh... They've got the cards stacked against them, those voice actors, because they don't know what they're doing. They haven't played the game. They 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 see the scenario on their on their script and they go, "Okay, I'm supposed to act surprised or sad." And they know that timing is very important to get the right uh, they want it to seem real. And if it's going to seem real, these people have to talk kind of unaffectedly to one another, just, you know, going about their business. Like you and I right now aren't talking the way we talk to most people. We're trying to fill the space and say interesting things at an interesting rate. But that's not how a, a conversation between two people on a porch right. goes. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I mean, that's uh, th that's kind of like uh, one of the, what do you call it, like a conundrum or something about um, a lot of these mediums. Like uh, uh, in, in any fiction or any uh, medium in which you see two people talk, whether whether it is nonfiction or fiction or a movie or a video game, it is not real life, but we, it has to be uh, depicted in a way that convinces us that it could be real life, even though we never see people talk the way people talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there's so many fun things. I love all of the, the things, especially the internet geeks who, who they love to pick on movies for doing unrealistic things like 
lighting a cigarette but not smoking <laughs> a cigarette or getting a cup of coffee and not drinking a cup of coffee, never saying goodbye when they hang up the phone, <laughs> all that stuff. I, I get such a kick yeah. out of all of it. But the um, the the reading has to be real. It's it's even it has to be real in an entirely different way. Like uh, one of the other things that I spoke about recently uh, in the guild is that on screen in a movie, green is green is green and red mm -hmm. is red is red unless your eyes are yeah. bad or something, you know. But like in in a book. Even a name, if it's spelled one way, you're ultimately going to decide how to pronounce it for yourself. You're going to decide what kind of green it is. Like, you're going to see it in your mind a certain way. I have right. an example here that I want to read, if that's all right. Of course. And, and I'm going to try to read it in a way that is uh, <laughs> not cheeseball. This is from <laughs> Sunless Sea. I tried to pick a, a modern example. And the paragraph goes like this. Pits line the streets like pores in skin. Another opens as you watch. One by one, the citizens descend the stairs into the soft white glow of the pits, their eyes wide and tender. You approach the edge of one of the pits. Each one, as they go down, begins to weep. The scent is sharp, unpleasant, like burning feathers. That's all. But like, so the dude picks the words, right? Like the, the pits line the streets like pores in skin. That's for sure gross. You know what I mean? Now, he doesn't tell you how it's gross. He makes you feel gross about the pits in the streets. And uh, another opens as you watch. He doesn't say it opens fast. He doesn't say it opens slow. He says it opens as you watch. The only thing that he forces you to understand is that you are staring at the hole as it opens. And you decide all of the other details. And sometimes he can be very uh, specific. At the end, he uses imagery. The, the, sh the scent is sharp and unpleasant like burning feathers. Now, I personally don't know what a burning feather smells like, but I can imagine it. And I'm going to put my right. spin on that. That's like, um, I, I think, uh, what was an example of that? Uh, Har Harlan Ellison's I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, uh, the short story. Love and uh, I believe there's one passage, uh, I, I can't directly quote this, but I believe he describes um, some of the food that they're forced to eat as tasting like, uh, like uh, um, what was it, like... Um, pig's urine or something like that and you know it was something, it was something <laughs> yeah, something we've exactly, all had for dinner that you can't possibly know what that tastes like and yet you kind of know exactly right. what it tastes like like you kind of have that or at least everyone will have their interpretation of exactly what that'll taste like he gives he wants to use the word pig he, he wants it to seem gross in a piggish way there's a voluptuousness mm -hmm. to it in a bad way there's, yeah yep yeah yeah and, and the um that that's that's for sure the interactive yeah. thing is that you have you don't get to you have to you have to be a part of that and make those little decisions i guess that one. also reminds me um i can't remember what this was I, my, my mind wants me to believe that it was from doogie hauser or something i'm pretty sure it was but i haven't um i only saw it once a long time ago when it was on tv and there was this uh there's this one scene that actually cracked me up where um, I, I'm pretty sure it was Doogie Hauser because it was a guy who had to try what it was like for a day or a week or something to do a um, a minimum wage job. <laughs> so um, so Doogie, I, I, we're, we're just going to go with this. Uh, Doogie has to work at this, um, you know, their version of McDonald's. And uh, he has to, he, he can't upsell fries to save his life. Oh, I remember and, that. Yeah. And he, he keeps 
trying like he really wants to figure out how to do it so he keeps asking would you like fries with that but um through trial and error he keeps they do this little montage of him asking would you like fries with that but every single time he emphasizes a different word and he goes right would you like fries with that (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. and yeah you you can try this yourself in your head uh those who are listening uh, at home or wherever you may be but every single time he emphasized a different word in the sentence it always had a very different meaning or like a different delivery Every single time he did it. and Would you I mean, like fries with that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that, that kind of really feeds into what you're talking about. Where So if you just read it on the screen, you just see the words. Would you like fries with that? And it's like up to your head how that line really gets mm-hmm. delivered. Because everyone will, everyone will read it. Like, you know, the first time you read that line, you might think it yep. says, would you like fries with that? Whereas maybe the first time I read it, I might see it as... Would you like fries with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, all those things matter, man. Writers, they, they're very particular about that stuff. Um, the the guy that writes The Sunless Sea, I don't know his name, which is kind of a shame. I should have looked it up. But he, um, he, he likes to fool around with commas an awful lot. He's totally unafraid to put a comma in a certain place to make you a halt before you say the next yes. word yeah. in your mind. Uh, that that tonal thing is really important. Or you brought up a have no mouth and cannot squ- scream, right? Yeah. Um, it's funny in the computer game. I don't know if they took the script from the story or not. But when the Neanderthal guy, he, you have an option to eat one of those prickly fruits, if you remember. And if you eat the fruit, then the voice actor, it, he he does the voice of the guy kind of coughing, on choking on it as mm-hmm. harch, 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 which is super <laughs> ridiculous. Like on the page, it was probably like harch, exclamation point, harch, exclamation point. <laughs> and I guess that's what Harlan Ellison thought that choking sounded like or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The, the older people, like, you know, he's, you know, bless his soul. He, he's passed away recently. That's right. He was fairly recently. Know, he was like our age in like the sixties, so or in the seventies, I guess. So the he got the old school education, and those old school people they were pretty good at recognizing, and and uh, formalizing certain little things like harch, or tisk, you know, tisk, yeah. t s k, like that one's kind of persisted, and people say tisk tisk, but that's not what that is. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's a whole legion of people out there that think that tisk tisk is tisk tisk. Yeah, and and they'll say it now. They'll actually they'll say it out loud. They'll say tisk tisk tisk. Sure, (laughs) totally, of course. Which which, I mean, I'm kind of guilty of because I I knew that it was the sound because that's uh, because I remember when that was a thing when people would go. uh, Maybe maybe it was from TV shows or something like that, but I I did definitely know it at some point. But it's just become so uh, evolved since then. It's become standardized to actually just say tisk tisk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, there's there's something wonderful about someone who says a word aloud because they've read it but not heard it properly. You know, yes. Screw you for being uber literate and reading more than you speak. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually, yeah, I, I've definitely had that moment where I'd say something and someone would be like, what? Like, uh, I, I can't remember. Yeah. I can't think of like a really good example of when I've done it, but I know that I've done it. I, I very distinctly remember the moment that somebody called me out on it but i can't remember what the actual word was i was in upper division english classes i think it was 17th century brit lit and um and i said subtle 
And they're like, oh, you mean subtle. And I'm like, no, I mean subtle. And I I stuck to my guns. I was such a little asshole. It took me a while to figure out. No, you were wrong, man. (laughs) Oh, actually, you know what is one of my favorites? Um, And uh, this isn't, thankfully, this wasn't something that I did. But I I do I was there when it happened and um because uh, I I do have a little bit of um uh me and my friends did a bit of uh, filmmaking back when we we're uh, you know a, a little bit younger than we are now fun and yeah and uh, so I was always involved especially in what, with one of my friends um who really aspired to be a you know like like a Robert Rodriguez type where he did everything on his own so he would always run his own auditions. For the roles, so he gives he gives this guy the script. I, you know, obviously it was so long ago I don't remember the words, but uh, the guy at one point has to say, "Oh, touche," and this guy <laughs> I see never, where this is going. Yes, <laughs> the guy. I, I, I'm sure he's heard the word touche before, but he probably never actually read it. So when he comes to that part, he says, "Oh, touche." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not bad, like considering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, when you ask me about um how I feel about voiceovers versus the the dialogue box or like dialogue written in a game in general, what what really bums me out is that like okay, so Infocom. Anyone who has appreciated an Infocom game, they know that they're well written, right? Mm-hmm. But like so Zork is well written, but then you play Hitchhiker's Guide, which is actually written the game is written by douglas adams a a writer who who worked in radio and then you know traded up to books but like dude the the difference that the expertise makes in those two games it's like zork is fantastic i'm not crapping on zork zork is 100 amazing but the hitchhiker's guide it's like oh this is how a pro does it this is how (laughs) the words go on the page you know what i mean and those moments in gaming are so rare. Uh, look at look at the one we've been talking about, the have no mouth, I'm a scream. Like, he, you know, Ellison, I don't think, wrote broad swaths of that, but uh, he, he he for was, sure had his stuff quoted in there. Yeah, he was involved in it, for sure. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think I, he, think was... I think he actually did the voice of AM. Did he? Uh, I think he might have. It was something like that. But he definitely, he definitely uh, designed a lot of the story because it was definitely something that he uh, had a big part in designing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you know who else I have to call out too is um the the Callahan's Cross Time Saloon guy too, Spider Robinson. Right. Yeah, that I mean the writing in that game is insanely good too. There's a really good blend uh, of graphical and voiceover and written that that one's highly literate Mm -hmm. that's actually um i I guess now uh it's it's not the most related especially to uh to gaming but i guess now it's a fairly relevant to bring up that uh um one of my favorite books is actually alice in wonderland and a lot of people are yeah a lot of people have that sort of reaction they're like oh why, why that one and yeah, specifically that one, not through the looking glass. Actually, that's uh, one distinction that I really wanted to make was the was that it was Alice in Wonderland, not necessarily Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which includes Through the Looking Glass. Right, um, right. And what it was is the uh, Alice in Wonderland really showed the art of 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 the written word and how it completely differentiates itself from the other mediums. And oh, one of yeah. those things that he does in um, in Alice in Wonderland is using the the method of reading 
the words on the page as a very deliberate the the timing of the delivery of information to you is mm. line by line so uh there's a part where where Ellis comes across like a, a fish in us in a in a uniform and um <laughs> I, I i again i i can't possibly come anywhere close to uh, reciting off heart but he basically says like uh um if Ellis were to describe the this person based on what he was wearing uh, it would be a soldier but if she were to describe what she, uh, what the person looked like it would be a fish and it's just mm-hmm. like you know it kind of like really conta- <laughs> like um controls how much and exactly when you receive information and it's that sort of control that really was is inspiring to see um Especially if you, uh, if anyone aspires to be a writer, to see how this such control over the written word and language, you know. Well, those turkeys, they they're the romantics, the the late nineteenth century people, and they were steeped in poetry. That was mm-hmm. pre pre radio. The books were it, and the the most exciting thing that you could have next to a full blown play is poetry. And these people, they would throw parties, and if you were good at reciting poetry, not necessarily from memory, although, of course, they appreciated that very much. Yeah. If you could if you could bust a book off the library and properly tell it so that people were stoked, that it was evocative, then you could be pretty popular that way. Right. And so the, that's an excellent example of that kind of thing, the, the whole uh, poetic thing. You see less of it in people who aren't so uh, poetically inclined, like... Um, what's her name, Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Like, yeah. she was very young when she wrote that. It's not a very poetic work, but, like, uh, it, it does tell a good story, you know? her The people who she surrounded herself with, like Lord Byron, they were the best poets of the day. Her mm-hmm. brother was Percy Bysshe Shelley. Right. Yeah, but the poetry, the, the, po- the poetry is where that comes from, I think. Yeah, and that's one of the... That's one of the criticisms a lot of people uh, have about Stephen King too, isn't it? Just sort of like they say he's a he's a storyteller, he's not a writer. That's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, well, he he has been a professor at Columbia University, like of writing and how to be a good writer for decades, and and he he wrote the most authoritative book on writing and grammar and how to write and how to not just how to tell a cool plot. In fact, he doesn't spend a whole lot of time on that in his book but his book on writing is the new strunk and white it's it's the bible of how to be a writer and it's very concise hmm. it, it exemplifies how to be a good writer so like you know oh he's a good storyteller he's a bad writer Bullshit. so so what is it like what, what's their problem like where, where, where are they coming from even? frankly i frankly i i bear them no ill will i think it's simply just a lack of expertise like you can be an excellent reader you can be the best well the most well-read person on your block. But if you don't have any actual experience in like studying how one writes, how people have written and all of that stuff, then you don't necessarily know like all of the different ways a person can be a good writer versus a not good writer. He does write at like a fifth grade reading level, but he, his stuff is like impeccable insofar as being concise and meaning what he wants it to mean a hundred percent of the time. Hmm. He's, he's very much a modernist like a, like Hemingway. Hemingway means right. Hemingway all of the time. It's very difficult to not hear or see something the way Hemingway wants you to hear and see it. And Stephen King is a master of that. Gotcha. But I mean, you know, the the other way of doing things, being evocative while being vague, or like that piece from Sunless Sea that I read. Like he let he makes you 
come up with certain things. He leaves a lot of elasticity and room to move around in your imagination. And mm-hmm. a lot of people prefer that too. Dude, Gunslinger. You ever try reading The Gunslinger? No. It's the first of the Dark Tower? No. That, that'll get you 100%. I promise you that. Dude, the, the opening line, the opening effing line of The Gunslinger is the man in black fled across the desert. And the gunslinger followed. Nice. I mean, there's nothing better on this earth. (laughs) The desert was the apotheosis of all deserts. Huge, standing for all directions. Yeah, I I, I can run that one off, memory. (laughs) (laughs) I am a a very big fan, as most writers are big fans, of a strong, solid opening line. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely important. You got to couch that. There are whole books of uh, opening and closing lines of great works, and it's Mm -hmm. fascinating. There's competitions for um, bad opening lines. You know that? They hold hold contests for people who can write the worst opening lines. And, you know, it's one of those things where it sounds. Yeah, it's one of those things where it sounds like um, uh, it sounds stupid, but like it, these are like, um, these are. Horrible written lines by amazing writers. So you can imagine how, like, just <laughs> how, um, um, it's just the subtlety to them, but just the overtly just horribleness of it is yeah, amazing. Man. You got to look it up. It's, it's uh, some very uh, sublime pieces out of these. Being bad, bad is writers. an art. Yes, it is. I mean, I've been talking up writing in video games this whole time, but it's true that there's a lot of stuff that the written word does not do well. Mm-hmm. Um, s- sex scenes. Sex scenes should just kind of not happen. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're writing a sex scene, it's, it's probably to turn people on. If it's not, then it's because something awful is happening, you know, in which mm-hmm. case you get a pass. Like, you know, some, something horrible is happening. With that. That's, you're not even writing about the sex. You're writing about something horrible happening that involves sex. Right. But if you're writing a sex scene, you're essentially doing porn. And frankly, that's not the right medium. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's never been a choose your own adventure porn thing that's like done very well for anyone monetarily. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. Uh, well, that being said, uh, do you have any final thoughts or any final final musings or anything that you'd like to uh, bring up uh, just um, before we uh, bring this to a as as we bring this to a wind down? I don't think so. I think we've yeah. talked an awful lot about uh, English and the written <laughs> word in games. I'd like to see more of the written word in games for sure. Because like I said before, I really wish we could have the great writers uh, putting great writing into games in a meaningful way. And I don't necessarily mind. In fact, I, I really miss having to read to get the, the puzzles correct. Like having the reading be a part of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's avoided because some people think that it's not fair to force people to read. And frankly, that's not how our society works. Like mm-hmm. we do literally force people to read. That's what the public education system does. Right. It's cheaper to get a good writer. And there there's more access to good writers now than has ever been before. And if you, if you know any writers, ask them how much they work for. It'll make you cry. <laughs> It'll make yeah, you cry. Yeah. <laughs> so so game devs out there, I'm telling you, look for the good writers. Make something around that. It's awful, uh, awesome. And I, it's awful that it's not done more often. Yeah. Do, do you have any... Um, um, like, Do you think that there is a particular genre that's... Um, 
accessible to the modern audience since uh, you know adventure games are becoming a very niche thing. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think there is any particular genre these days that could really revolutionize the written word? Oh, that's an interesting idea, how it could come around. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Sunless Sea did it in a way where the reading is never boring because it's almost never more than like three paragraphs at a throw, which pretty much everyone is willing to digest. Um, but how how games could turn around and affect uh, the written word uh, or do it in a new way? I mean, I've never thought about that. I'm mm. positive it could be done. Mm-hmm. I think that probably the the trouble will be that you'll end up with a Life is Strange situation where people basically get a, a walking simulator and it's a choose-your-own-adventure book and it's extremely well-written, but you're not, you're, you're not really able to do exceptional writing if you have to leave all of these open ends. Like, right. when you think about the great writers, you do tend to think of the Oscar Wildes and the Hemingways. You don't talk about uh, Edward What's-His-Name that made choose-your-own-adventure books or uh, <laughs> Gary Chalk and, and Joe Deaver who did Lone Wolf, you know. They're fine writers. Right. They're fine writers, but they can't they can't tell their story if you're deciding how it goes. It screws up the uh, it screws up the timing at the very least. Yes. Like you were talking about uh, Lewis Carroll and Alice in Wonderland uh, that if if he weren't allowed to time everything exactly so it wouldn't have the proper effect. The jokes wouldn't be funny. That's right. That's why I've probably never enjoyed a good uh, I've never enjoyed a movie based on Alice in Wonderland nearly as much as I enjoyed reading the book. Hyper literary story. Hyper literary. Mm-hmm. I, I bet Absolutely. That, you know, sooner or later someone will come around and do it. Like no one's worried about books going out of style. Like reading is an entirely different animal from gaming. And I think that there's a of course. I think that gaming kind of wants to be its own thing. It doesn't want to have to depend on movies. It doesn't want to have to be compared to them. It doesn't want to have to depend on writing. It doesn't want to have to be compared to books. But it doesn't have any problem whatsoever incorporating great music. So <laughs> what, what, what's the relation? You know, what, what's, what's, what are we supposed to take from that? I don't know. It's an interesting yeah, question. It is. Oh, you know what? There is a game called... Um, uh, there's a game called... Baba is you and it's new. I think it came out like six months ago and it is entirely grammatical and logical. Like you get phrases and you move the words around to change the situation of the game. Oh, that sounds, I've got to write that one down. Baba is you. It's like 10 bucks on steam. Um, but yeah, that's an example of a, a literary, but even that's like more logical than literary. Oh, well I give up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you something I would love to... Uh, this this has been a very fascinating... One of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had on the show. Hooray! Uh, the, only thing, the only thing I think that could make this better is if Paul were here. Oh, also Paul. throw in. So I would love for you to come back one of these days when we can get the three of us together. And, Absolutely. Uh, talk about this, this sort of thing because this, is, uh, this, has, been, uh, this has been absolutely uh, amazing to think about uh br- brought down only by the limitations of my ability to contribute to this so uh <laughs> oh, i love hanging so, uh, out with you man it's super fun yeah it is it, we, we've uh, i always have fun chatting with you outside of the show uh so it was great to have you on uh, at last so uh thank you so much uh for joining us uh, i really hope to have you back really soon by all means cheers to you and cheers to the guild and chills to Cheers to everyone who has ever really enjoyed a classic game. Absolutely. And since Paul is not here to say this, uh, I'll just finish off by saying, 
don't do a murder. Thank you.